Well, as Dave said, we're continuing in our known series this morning. I'm wrapping that up. And before we get into the person that we're going to discuss from the Bible, I thought that it'd be a good idea for us to get to know each other a little bit better because I've been in the crowd before and there's nothing worse than going on a blind date with a pastor, okay? So I want to, since it is Valentine's Day weekend, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Katie and I's story. Uh, We first met in high school and like some uh, high school sweethearts, we fell pretty hard for each other. Me, harder than her, you know, first, had to convince her, um, but it, I won her over eventually. Um, but the crazy thing is, if I was to uh, describe the beginning of our relationship, I would call it a romantic comedy. And I would say it was a mixture of You've Got Mail and the movie Hitch. Have you ever seen those movies before? I would say You've Got Mail because I was like the arrogant Tom Hanks character And she was more like pre-plastic surgery Meg Ryan, if you know what I mean. uh, But to be honest, we actually met by talking on Facebook chat, not AOL, but online. I was like way too scared to talk to her in person, so we talked on Facebook chat. But once I finally got the nerve to talk to Katie in person, I turned into like Will Smith on Hitch. Every smooth move that I thought I had fell flat on its face. If you've seen the movie, you know what I mean. One time, I was even playing golf with her because I wanted to impress her, you know, make her think I was all cool. So I was playing golf with her, and I was trying to hit this really cool shot. And so I went to swing, and I swung, and I was like, oh, man, that was a bad shot. And so I went like this, and I hit Katie in the face on accident. (laughs) I'm not kidding. It was that bad. But this is what Katie did, and this is why I love her so much. She just goes, oh, And she gritted her teeth, and she just kept going on. She was nothing like Eva Mendez in the movie that she needed the ice, you know? She's like, hey, I'm good to go. That's how tough Katie is, and that's how not smooth I am. (laughs) But she stayed with me. You know, a few years later when we were in college during our junior year, I popped the question in in the most romantic way ever. Not kidding. All right, so here's how it went. I took her to the spot of our very first kiss. I'm not gonna tell you where that was because it's kind of embarrassing how lame it was, but it was where I kissed her for the first time. So I took her back to that spot and I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna get down on one knee. I got the, I got the blanket, you know, so on the grass so it won't be like too wet because I forgot to mention it was pouring down raining. And she's like, Josh, why are you being so weird? I was like, uh, I just wanted to do something nice for you. So I said, let's get out of the car for a second. So we got onto this blanket, and I'm talking to her, and I got down on my knee, and I said, you know, Katie Ann Runyon, will you marry me? And she said, yeah. And then we started kissing in the rain, because that's like the most romantic thing to do, you know? Have you ever watched The Notebook? Yeah, it's like the dumbest idea ever. Because after about two seconds, you're like, I'm freezing, I'm cold. So we got back in the car, went home, celebrated with her family, and we were soaking wet. They're like, what were you guys doing? Don't worry about it. It was romantic. It was worth it. But so we did that. And then a year and a half later, because I had to like put a ring on it as soon as possible before we graduated. Didn't want to let her go. So then we got married and uh, had an awesome wedding day. And it was really cool. And then three months later, I looked at her one day and she became pregnant. It's crazy how that happens, right? (laughs) I was like, this is not on my five-year plan was. (laughs) That was not it. 
I did not have that in the plans, but God did. And uh, right as we were celebrating our one-year anniversary, a couple weeks later, we had our first son, Will. And then about a year and a half later, we had enough time to think about it. Hey, so let's do this again. So January of 2014, we found out that she was pregnant again, and we were so excited. But the crazy thing was that one year ago, on Valentine's Day, instead of celebrating, because we hadn't told our family and friends yet, instead of celebrating her pregnancy and telling everybody about it and being excited, we were in an ICU room, an intensive care room, and Katie was holding on to her life. She had uh, some complications with a uh, surgery for her kidney stones. They put a tube in her back that was supposed to drain some things, but she ended up uh, becoming septic. And that means that she had an infection enter her bloodstream. And if you know anything about sepsis, it's really dangerous. And it feels so weird to say it, but she almost died. And I gotta be honest with you that this last year has been a little bit of a mix of heaven and hell. There's been some really great moments. Um, you know, we welcomed our second son into the world, Ryan, and by some miraculous thing that God decided, hey, I'm gonna let you be easy on this one. It was a great uh, delivery, a healthy baby. is perfect. He came out of the womb smiling, you know? He didn't cry at first, and I was like, whoa, this is weird. Why isn't he crying? They're like, he's just happy. And then he started crying. But then we're like, all right, he's normal. But, um, you know, Katie was healthy, and things were going really well. But, and then we also, we got to meet this really cool British guy and his wife at this conference down in Orlando, Dave and Casey, and a couple other people from Connect. And they asked us to consider being residents here. And we were like, yes. But, you know, there were those moments when we were in and out of hospitals for months. Pain medication that never stopped. Answers to questions we wanted answers, and they just kept saying, we got nothing for you. And I have to be honest, this Valentine's Day, I didn't want to celebrate it. Because how do you celebrate with someone, with the person that you love the most when they're in pain? It's really hard to do that. But you know, I was talking to my dad whenever we moved here in, in January, and he could, he could tell that I was struggling a little bit. Just, you know, it had been kind of long nights and longer days trying to care for her and also our two kids. And he said, Josh, let's talk for a second. I said, okay. He said, I can see that you're in a lot of pain right now and that you're tired, but I need you to do something for me, Josh, because I think this will help you. I said, okay, whatever you say, Dad, I'll, I'm, more, I'm willing to listen. And he painted this picture for me, and it's really helped me keep going. It's my motivation on a daily basis. He said, I want you to picture Katie as healthy, as happy, as full of energy, completely whole. And he said, do you have that picture in your mind? I said, yeah, I got it, Dad. And I, I saw this picture right here. Whew. Because that was like the best day ever. And there were no problems and there was no pain and we had nothing but future ahead of us and, and man it was going to be so awesome so perfect and 
you know, life isn't perfect, <laughs> but, you know, I thought it was going to be because I had the love of my life. And that, but that was the picture that I had in my mind. And so my dad said, Josh, I need you from today forward. When you're struggling, when you're hurting, when you want to give up, I want you to see this picture of your wife. And I want you to love her as hard as you can. And I want you to do the most that you can to love her into her present condition into that picture. I want you to love her into her potential. Because I know right now when you're looking at her, you're not seeing that picture. All you're seeing is that when she was laying in that intensive care unit room and she was hooked up to those machines and you were afraid of losing her, you need to stop going to that place and you need to start seeing that picture. I said, okay, Dad, I'll try. And I've been doing it every day. And that's the idea that I wanna talk to you about today. I wanna talk to you about the idea of loving someone into their potential. Because, you know, I have a feeling that I'm not the only person in the room who's been in this situation that we're not the only family who's gone through hard times. And, and I know it might not be something physical like this, but let me categorize it a different way. <clears throat> you know, some of us are like me, who are trying to love someone, you, and you feel like nothing you do is getting better. Maybe it's your teenager who's doing things that you know they shouldn't be doing, and you're trying to love them, and you're trying to say, hey, I don't want you to go down this path. I've seen it done that way before, and and it's not a good direction, would you please, please stop doing that? And they're not listening. Or maybe it's your marriage. You know, it is Valentine's Day weekend, but it's not always a happy one for some couples. You know, maybe you've been looking at your husband or wife for the last couple months, and, and you've just been seeing a roommate, not a romantic partner. And it's really hard to celebrate this love that we're supposed to be having when they don't even notice you. Or maybe it's your parents or a friend and you can see how upset they are with their lives and, and you just want it to change. You wanna do anything you can to help them be happy, to be that person that you used to know. But all they can think about is, man, I just hate my life. Who are you trying to love right now and it feels like nothing is getting better? What's the situation that you're facing that you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel? You know, others of us are like Katie and that you found yourself in a situation you wish you weren't in. And you wanna know, how do I get this monkey off my back? Maybe you had something that happened in your life that it wasn't your fault, but now it's a part of you. You're having a hard time letting it go. Or maybe you did something you're not proud of and it's haunting you. It's been haunting you for years and you can't forgive yourself and, and you feel like there's no way that God would ever forgive you either. Or maybe you have a story where something labeled you in a negative way and, and it's defined you and, and you've just said, hey, this is who I am. I can't change. Do you have something like that you're dealing with this morning? You know, in the same way that my dad gave me that image, that picture of Katie that's really, it's transformed the way that I'm living my life on a daily basis, God also gave us a similar picture for each of us to learn from when we're 
facing a hard time, when we can't let something go, when we're loving someone and we're not getting the results that we wanna see. And he gave it to us in a story in the life of Jesus. And there's a person, his name is Peter, that we're gonna look at this morning. And I pray that this message will encourage you and it will have a similar impact that it did on me. Because I believe that showing people love is never a waste of time. Let me repeat that. Showing people love is never a waste of time. And people can change when we love them into their potential. And as hard as it might feel right now to keep going, it can get better. Let me introduce you to our main character this morning. His name is Simon Peter. Most of us will maybe recognize it as Peter, but his, his name is Simon Peter. And he's found in the first four books of the New Testament, which are called the Gospels. And it's mostly about the life of Jesus, but Peter is the second most mentioned person in the Gospels. Just in case you're ever on Jeopardy and you have to win, have that question to win the whole thing, you can thank me later. I want my cut, okay? But Peter, he's the second most mentioned person. And you're gonna find out in a second why that's not always a good thing. Because if I could summarize Peter's life, I would say this. He was known for his highlight moments and his blooper reels. It was either really good with Peter or really bad. And every time, everybody saw it. I mean, he was like the person that, like one moment, he would do this awesome thing. Like, anybody watch the slam dunk contest last night? Like that cool of a moment when the guy did that awesome dunk and everyone was like, yeah, and they wanna give you a perfect score, right? Peter had some of those moments, but also he did some of those things that people catch on video and it goes viral, and then you have to end up issuing a public apology, it's so bad. That's how Peter lived his life on a daily basis. Everything he did, people saw, and it was either really good or really bad. And what's crazy to me is that when Jesus meets Peter for the very first time, that's what he starts calling him. He gives him this nickname, which we think is his real name, but it's actually his nickname, Peter. And he does something, when he does, when he does that, he does something that will change this man's life. Because he was known as Simon, but Jesus gave him this nickname, Peter. And I know it sounds like an English name to us, but what it really means is rock. Imagine Jesus is calling this guy saying, you're the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson, but the rock. That means you're somebody that I can count on. You're gonna be someone that makes me proud. You're steady. You make wise decisions. You're somebody I can count on. <clears throat> but in, in the scripture, it says this. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And I need you to think about that with me this morning because Jesus looked intently at this man and he saw past those inconsistent and up and down moments and said, no, you're the rock. And I'm gonna love you into that potential. But Peter, when we meet him and throughout his life, he's anything but a rock. He's not the most reliable person one time when Jesus was praying, they were having like this prayer meeting. They were praying about something really important. And the next thing, Jesus, he opens his eyes from his prayer 
And he sees that Peter is just like snoring. <laughs> He's sleeping. But let's be real. Which, who of us has ever fallen asleep while praying? I know I have. So maybe we should give Peter a pass, right? Not that big of a deal. Okay, that was just point one. Unfortunately, Peter wasn't always the most respectful person either. When Jesus told his friends that he was gonna die and that he was gonna raise from the dead and that was a part of God's plan, Peter pipes up in the middle of this really important speech and interrupts Jesus and this is what he says. Impossible, master, that can never be. What a goober. I mean, Jesus is having this like really important moment. He's telling like, this is what's gonna happen, guys, and I know everybody's gonna think it's weird, but this is really the plan. And Peter's like, you're wrong. That's impossible. It can't be like that. <laughs> and I know like maybe we would have been tempted to do the same thing, but Jesus, with Jesus, I've noticed that respect is a big thing because if people... <laughs> People gave Jesus respect. It didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter if you were the richest of the rich or the poorest of the poor. If you showed Jesus some respect, I mean, he was so kind and so loving to everyone who did it. But some people who didn't treat him so well, he said, hey, you guys, you guys got life twisted right now. And he would tell them what was up. But in this case, <laughs> he says to Peter something that he's not really said to many people. He says, Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. Man, one minute he's calling him the rock, and next minute he's like, Satan, get away from me. And he's not saying that you are Satan, but he's saying, hey, the things that you're talking about, like, that's tempting to go a different route, but this is God's plan. Satan's plan's different. We're gonna follow God's plan. But here's the deal. Many of us who are Catholic, or we have a Catholic background, or we, we know much about church, Here's the deal about Peter. He is known as the first pope, which is a pretty big deal, right? Hundreds, maybe thousands of churches around the world are named after Peter. He's historically known as someone who wrote two books of the Bible, which is a big deal. He performed many miracles. He even is recorded as walking on water with Jesus. This is a pretty cool guy. But like I said, he has these up and down moments. And I, I have to wonder when I read the story of Peter, who is this guy? Which one is he? Is he the hero or the goat? To be honest, he's both. But this is the moment that I want to talk to you about that we're coming to right now that Peter is most known for. It was an epic fail. He made a promise to Jesus that he broke. And I'm not talking about the type of promise that, that I make to my son, hey, Will, if you're really good, I'll take you to jumping jacks next week, and then I forget about it. That's not the type of promise I'm talking about. I'm talking about the type of promise that makes you not want to ever be friends again, the type of betrayal that I don't know if I can trust you anymore. This is what happened. One night, before Jesus was about to be killed. They're talking together, and Jesus is telling them plan and saying, hey, don't get all riled up, and don't, get, um, don't go crazy and run away and, and have doubt. This is God's plan. It's gotta be this way. And, and so Peter, he's like, okay, all right. Well, here's the deal, Jesus. Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never deny you. He's saying to Jesus, I'll die with you if I have to. 
I'm your best friend that much. I'll go with you no matter where you go, Jesus. And that's the moment I want us to focus on. Because after Jesus was arrested and taken to an unfair trial at night, this is what the scripture records. Peter was in the courtyard below while all this was going on. And one of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. And just then a rooster crowed. And when the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. But, T but Peter denied it again. And a little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind because what happened when Peter made that promise was Jesus knew what was already gonna happen. He said, no, Peter, that's not what's gonna happen. He said, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And when one of those words came to his mind, he broke down and he wept. He cried because he'd let Jesus down and broke his promise. Think about this. For years now, they've traveled together. They're best friends. They've been through everything, the good and the bad. Jesus even healed his mother-in-law. They performed miracles together. They stood up to religious jerks together. They'd done life together for years. And at the moment that Jesus needs Peter to have his back, he tries to save his own skin. And that's why I think to myself, man, is that the moment that he's most known for? Does that erase all the, bad, the good stuff that he did? Does that one bad moment make him not useful to God anymore? Here's the reason why Peter's story didn't end with a rooster announcing how much of a traitor he was. Jesus, in spite of his sin, in spite of him breaking his promise, he kept loving him into his potential. He didn't give up on him because after Jesus rose from the dead, they got together, he got together with his disciples and they were having breakfast one morning and they were, they were having this awkward conversation and you know, Jesus is probably looking at Peter and Peter was like, oh, don't look at me, he's looking at me again. And Jesus came up to him and instead of embarrassing him and making him look like a fool, he does something a little bit more passive aggressive. And he comes up to Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? First of all, I need you to know, when Jesus called him Simon, Peter would have thought, oh man, he's not calling me my nickname anymore. He would have noticed the difference. Why are you calling me that again? I, I thought I was Peter to you. And, and Peter says, of course I love you. And then Jesus says it again, Simon, no, no, son of John, do you love me? He says, yeah, you know I love you. And then he asks him one more time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at that moment, the same kind of moment of clarity that he had when the rooster crowed, he had the same one, and he's like, oh, man. 
He's doing that because I denied him three times. And that must have been really hard on Peter to go back to that moment. But I'm telling you, the cool thing about Jesus is that he wasn't trying to embarrass Peter. He was trying to restore their relationship. Because the only reason that Jesus would bring up his past is so that he could forgive him and help him move on from that moment and still see that God saw potential in him. That's why he brought it up. He's saying, I know you're not perfect, but you've still got potential, Peter. And I need you to know, this morning, many of you are here because Jesus was willing to forgive Peter and give him another chance. Because 50 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, there was a moment when Peter got a second chance and he didn't blow it this time. He was asked to give a speech in front of thousands of people. And this man who'd once let Jesus down made him so proud when he gave this message and he, he told the people that who Jesus was and how much he loved them and how he wanted their lives to be given to him and, and to live for him forever. And 3,000 people responded and got baptized and gave their life to Jesus. Can you imagine what that would be like on a baptism Sunday here at Connect? 3,000 people, we'd be here for hours. That's what it was like. And because Jesus was willing to keep loving Peter into his potential, Peter got to have that moment. And he went on and he, he wrote two awesome little books in the back of the Bible. And he lived this life and he eventually gave his life for Jesus. You know, I think the reason that Peter was able to give such an amazing message that day was because he experienced the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Not the judgment and not the condemnation, but the forgiveness. Because Jesus loved Peter into his potential. And I think the good news for us today is that this story applies to us as well. Because I think there's two people at least two types of people in the room. And I hope that someone and everyone will get something out of this. You know, I think that there are some of us who feel like Peter today. You feel like you've let down the person that you love. Maybe it's your marriage. I don't know what you have done. I, I, I don't pretend to know. So if you feel like this is speaking to you, I'm, I don't know. But maybe, maybe you do feel like you've let down your husband or wife and you know, you said those marriage vows and you had such a great wedding day, but things after that haven't gone so well. Maybe it's your parents. You're, you're either doing something right now or, or you did something that you feel like, man, I can't, even, I can't talk to my parents about this. They would be so disappointed in me. I've let them down. Or maybe it's a friend. Maybe you feel like Peter did with Jesus that you broke a promise that you made or you did something that you can't be trusted anymore. But I need you to know something, that God is a God of second chances. And here's a bottom line that I want us to all take away today, is that Jesus knows our failures, but he still sees potential when he looks at us. Jesus knows all the junk that we've ever done, and he still loves us. God is a God of second chances. And if you feel like Peter because of that today, it's not over you can still be forgiven. You can still have a second chance. 
And I pray that God would bring healing to your life if that's you today. Or maybe you feel like you're not living up to your potential. You feel like you're inconsistent. You've been failing like Peter. You can't be counted on because some days you're really high and other days you're really low, but you feel like you're a failure. But I'm telling you, failure is an event, not a person. And I'm a big believer in failing forward because in the life of Peter and the life of so many people I know, failure doesn't have to be the end. That you can live beyond your failures if you believe that God will give you a second chance, that God will give you a purpose, that he won't, like Dave was saying earlier, that God won't waste any of your failures, that good will come out of even the worst thing you have ever done. That's how awesome God is. He can use your failures. I believe that God wants to give us a purpose and he's not gonna waste any of our lives to fulfill that purpose. And I'll tell you about one of the purposes in just a moment. Jesus knows our failures, all of them, and he still sees potential when he looks at us. Or maybe there's some of us in the room that need to be like Jesus in this story because man, it's tough to be like Jesus, isn't it? You've been let down. Not you did the letting down. You've been let down by the person you love in your marriage. Maybe your parents did something terrible, something embarrassing, something early on in life or something recently and there's no way that you'd ever forgive them or a friend has betrayed your trust and you might say, Josh, if you only knew what that person did to me, there's no way you'd forgive them. And you know what I'd honestly say? I probably wouldn't because I'm not where, I'm, where I wanna be with forgiveness yet but I'm trying to get better at forgiveness. It's so tough to open your heart back up to someone when they betray your trust, when they do something that hurts you. But Jesus, one time he's having this conversation with Peter and Peter asks him a question about forgiveness. He says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 77 times. And you know what? I know it sounds like the church answer to say, just forgive people. But I'm telling you, don't look at me as the example. Look at Jesus and see, hey, he's forgiven every single person on the planet if they will just say, God, I need your love and your forgiveness. I need you to forgive me. I need you to make me new. And every time a person does that, Jesus says, clean slate. I love you. Let's do this over. I want to give you a second chance. And he does that every single time, every single day with all of us because he sees our potential, not our past failures. Maybe you need to give someone another chance. And trust me, I get it. I get it. Burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. I really believe that some of us need to open our hearts back up. And I know that we've, we're trying to develop this thick skin, but what happens in the middle of all of that is that sometimes we have a hard heart and we don't open our 
hearts back up to something that God wants to do in our lives. And he wants to heal people. He wants to restore the Peters in our lives because he doesn't see Simon, the person who's got all these sins, he sees Peter with potential. He can still use them. You know, maybe you, with God's help, can love someone and their potential. You know, I told you about my dad and how he gave me this great advice and it really has inspired me and it's been motivating me every day. And man, I'm so not perfect at it, but with God's help, I'm getting better. And I wondered, man, how could he have had such wise advice about that? And I remembered, he learned that lesson from his mother 35 years ago. Because I know you don't know me too much yet and you don't know my dad, but when my dad was 13 years old, his dad died in his arms. And from that moment on, my dad gave up on God and he hated life. And he started doing drugs and selling drugs and he was known as the guy in our community to go to if you wanted the good stuff, if you know what I mean. And one day, drugs weren't enough for him. And he was sitting on this park bench thinking, how am I gonna kill myself? And I, I know that this is kind of graphic and I'll, I'll try to um, stay general because of our audience. But he thought his life wasn't worth living anymore because there was no drug, there was nothing that he could take anymore to take away the pain that he had in his heart. And as he was thinking about ending his life, this song came into his mind and into his heart. And it was one that his mother had sung to him his whole entire life about how Jesus loved him and how Jesus cared about him. Because the part of the story I didn't tell you was that through six years of doing drugs every single day, he would come home to his mom, high out of his mind, sometimes angry and abusive, other times sad and isolated. But every time, my grandma would say, David, this is not who you are. I love you, and I see the man of God that you're becoming one day. And one day, God's gonna work all this junk out for our good. And I know that you can see me, son, and I'm a widow, and I've got six kids, and I don't know where our next meal is gonna come. But I'm telling you, your life is worth living, and I love you, and so does Jesus. And when he was at his weakest moment, that was what came into his mind and in his heart, and my dad went home, and he flushed thousands of dollars worth of drugs down the toilet, and 35 years later, he has not touched drugs once because the love of Jesus went through my grandma, and she saw potential in him when everyone else saw nothing but druggy and a big problem. That's the type of life change that can happen when we take this lesson to heart because some of us right now have a child or have someone in our lives, have a husband or a wife, a parent, someone that you love, that you want their life to be different and all you see is the problem, but all Jesus sees is their potential. And he wants you to keep loving them. Don't give up on them. Don't run away from them. Don't leave them alone. 
because Jesus is with them every step of the way and he's not looking at all the junk that they're doing. He's saying, I still love you. You don't have to do this. Please, just stop doing this. I'll still love you. I still love you. I, I forgive you. Because the, my favorite verse in the entire Bible sums us all up. We're about to go into a time of communion and Justin's gonna come up and, and, and share with us in that time. My favorite verse in the Bible is from the book of Romans, and it's Romans 5, 8. that says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Someone needs to hear that this morning that needs to be more like Jesus. That Jesus didn't love us while we were at our best. He loved us the most when we were at our worst, which makes no sense to me. Because I deserve penalty. I deserve to be punished. I deserve bad for doing something that's wrong. But Jesus says, I love you more now than I've ever loved you, and I'm not leaving you. I'll give my life for you. And whether or not you're Peter, whether you need to be more like Jesus, that's how much God loves each and every one of us. And so I want to encourage you as we close this message today that I know it's hard. I know it's hard to love people into their potential because recently I'm in the hospital. I'm watching my wife struggle in pain and, and I see this picture of, of pain. But I'm telling you, I'm not gonna look at that anymore. I'm gonna see this picture. I'm gonna see that picture of the woman that I love, that she's worth all of that because I see potential. I don't see pain because that's how Jesus looks at every single one of us. And one day, we're gonna look back and we're gonna say, I mean, that was such a rough time in our lives, but it was worth it. And because when we had that wedding day and everything was perfect, I said these words that I will love you for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. God's not done with the person that you love, so please, don't be done with them either. Don't see their problems, see their potential. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for seeing potential when you look at us. We give you every excuse to see our problems and you still love us. Lord, would you just let this message sink into our hearts. Those of us who need to experience this type of love, Lord, let us accept it and say, you know what? I believe that you really do see potential in me. You even see more in me than I see in me. And God, for those of us who need to love like you love, give us the courage and the endurance to keep doing it even when it's tough. Because everyone is worth loving. God, let us be a church that loves people into their potential like you loved us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.